Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Welcome to It's a Customer's World podcast. Now more than ever, retailers and brands are accelerating their quest to be more customer-centric. But to be truly customer-centric, it requires both a shift in mindset and ways of working. Not just in marketing, but in all parts of the organization. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with practitioners, thought leaders, and scholars to hear their thoughts on what it takes to be a leader in today's customer-centric world. Hello, everyone. In this episode, we continue our series of exploring the evolution of retail media networks. An area we haven't yet explored is how retail media networks fit into the broader world of media in general. To talk about that, I'm really excited to have industry expert John Sheehy join our show. John has over 30 years experience in media, technology, and creativity. He's held top leadership roles in some of the world's biggest and best agencies, such as Leo Burnett, and most recently served as the global brand president for Starcom Worldwide. John is currently an operating partner at New Road Capital Partners based in Northwest Arkansas. He's also a strategic advisor for Zeta Global. Zeta is a leading omni-channel cloud platform that provides companies with consumer intelligence and marketing automation software. I can't think of anyone better equipped to dive into the conversation about how media is changing and where all this is headed in the future than talking with John. Let's join the show. Hello, John. Welcome to the show, and thank you for taking time to chat with me today. Andy, great to, uh, great to be with you today. Uh, looking forward to our time. Well, you know, you've had a quite a remarkable career journey across technology, media, and creativity, um, and recently up to the global brand president of Starcom Worldwide. For those of you who don't know, it's one of the largest global media agencies. Uh, I'd like to start by just first hearing your career journey and what has led up to what you're doing today. Sure, Andy. I started out uh, almost 33 years ago. I started out on the creative side of the business uh, with Leo Burnett at the time. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate because Leo Burnett uh, had some great clients and really the, the ethos there was always be an extension of that client, understand their business, be a strategic partner business for them, and then bring them the ideas at the time that helped their brands grow. And so uh, that was a great foundation. I did that for about 20 years. I was fortunate enough to work uh, U.S. and abroad in that role, uh, always on clients. And then uh, about 2010, the opportunity came and the industry was changing and I decided to jump over to the media side. So I've spent about 13 years on the media side of the business, started out as Starcom Media Best Group, uh, evolved into publicist media. And, you know, throughout that time, working around the globe with many of the world's best clients, uh, it was really an interesting time because, as you know, everything was moving digital, search, social, uh, all the budgets were shifting in that direction. And now, if you look at the last three to five years, you're seeing everything continue to move, whether it's on the front end, leveraging data, or on the back end, you know, bringing solutions so that people and consumers can go from awareness to purchase through commerce. So an exciting run. And if you cut me open, I'm a client guy always have been, always will. I thought the most interesting part uh, of being a client partner was really helping them strategically define where they wanted to go and then bring the parts or the partners uh, to bear to unlock that for them uh, as they look for solutions um, 
in terms of helping them create that uh, great consumer experience. Well, you know, leading through change like you did in the earlier stages, 2010 and what happened there, you know, it's really difficult sometimes for clients to stay on top of that level of change and know strategically what to do versus, you know, tactically what to do. So I really appreciate your perspective there. And I look at what's happening today with media and retail media networks and this explosive growth in the last couple of years. Um, depreciation of cookies. It, it feels to me like, and I can have it wrong. I, I don't know media at the level, of course, that you do, but it feels like we're in the in the throes of a lot of change that rivals that earlier digital transformation. I mean, how would you characterize what's happening in media today? It's certainly exciting, and change is afoot uh, every day. I think uh, we all see that, we all face that. But uh, for me, it's it's a great opportunity. I think on three levels. First. Uh, the world continues to become more addressable as things move more digital. Not only does it throw off data, but that addressability because you're able to identify that audience better, get the better audience insights, and then certainly activate. And if you think about full circle, not only can you activate, but you're also being able to attribute to performance and get from beyond some simple awareness frequency model to more business outcomes. So. You know, media sits at the at the strategic foundation because that's uh, involves the audience, the investment dollars, and then optimizing those dollars to business outcomes. So, you know, that journey is very, very exciting now more than ever. Uh, as you mentioned, cookies are going away. So in a way uh, that has to be addressed so that we can continue that in a very privacy compliant world. Uh, but that's just uh, demanding more and more from what we can do with technology, whether it's machines, automation, you know, the consumer, what we want to do ultimately is give them a seamless experience. So you're bringing that all together. Media has been a great fulcrum for being able to make that change. And how have you seen clients being able to keep up and not just keep up with, uh, with it from, from a tactical perspective, which is quite a chore because it does take quite a bit of technology investment uh, on the client side, but also, you know, when the agency partner side but how have you seen them adapt and change organizationally to take advantage of the opportunity in a strategic way? It sounded a bit cliche, but uh, I'll say it again. COVID uh, actually was a, a great force for change. You know, usually you don't move until you have to. And I think because of what happened during COVID, it, it broke and then opened up new business models in a very rapid way. And so some examples of that, certainly if you're sitting as an established brand and you've, you've built up your barriers through retail, uh, traditional channels, traditional ways of engagement, you know, what we've seen over the last uh, 24 months is a dramatic shift to players being able to, with direct to commerce, with what we've seen in terms of every vertical being disrupted uh, it's really put a lot of pressure on both traditional brands, emerging brands. And I think it's also, it's thrown scale a bit up in the air. You know, we used to be able to really leverage that scale, but I think uh, agility matters most now, understanding who your core customers are, what they want in terms of their experience, and then having the agility to not only if you have to partner up in different ways, build things, manage them in different ways, but it really is, the ecosystem has shifted. And I think it's an advantage, uh, both for traditional players and non-traditional players. Uh, it really is who can adapt 
and, and who can really think through what the challenges of tomorrow are going to be. You know, it's interesting, John, I could have this wrong, and I'd love to get your perspective on it, but it feels like a lot of the technology shift that happened in, in enablements in the last couple of years have really helped in more of a performance way or transactional way where you've got more closed loop reporting, you know, starting to get more addressable data and such and more metrics to tell you about that performance. Uh, but what do you think has happened in the challenge of discovery and new brands and brand building in the space of media? It feels to me like today you want to go to TikTok to dis get discovery or such, but it, is it harder to get discovered in terms of new brands or growing brands or uh, challenger brands in a world that really values performance and incrementality on, on known brands? I mean, how, how is media helping in that space? It's good. It's a, I mean, that's a dilemma. You know, size does matter, no yeah. doubt about it, especially when you think about uh, brands and what they've built over uh, time and time again. But at the same time, Andy, I think you have you, you've pinpointed the, the challenge and the opportunity all at once. So a couple fundamental shifts. The first one is that, you know, as a world has gone more digital, uh, the world then gets more addressable. So you think about uh, the ability to really understand audiences at the ID level and then aggregate that up. The insights, you know, you can see shifts over a, a six-week period in terms of what might be happening during this um, current environment where we're seeing a lot of inflation. We can pick up on the nuances now much faster because that data is more available. So really what that means if you're a big or small player is that you have to own your customer. You have mm. to find a way to... Um, make sure that you have as much data and be able to use that data to really get back what are still the fundamentals. Who are we going to go after? Why? What do we know about them uh, that fits what we're trying to uh, sell them? And then be able to activate against that. And what digital has done is it allowed us to do that. So um, you look at the identity, you know, if I break it down, you look at what Amazon has done. You know, they own their customer. They have purchased data. Walmart has done that. All the big retailers have done that. And we'll come on, I think, talk about retail media in a minute. The Googles, the Facebooks of the world, they, they created this with the walled gardens. From a holding company standpoint, you've seen publicists with Epsilon. You've seen IPG with Axiom. You've seen Dentsu with Merkle. And the reason everyone's doing this is they understand that you have to have a view of the customer that then gets blended, joined together with that view, whether it's your client view or a retailer's view, and that enables you in this world uh, to target better. And then to your point, be able to drive the performance because you can activate in a digital world and be able to attribute that across many, many more channels and then be able to hopefully optimize that more in real time. There's still a bit of a lag but it's, it's much faster and it goes back to the agility than we had when we were waiting for Nielsen results, you know, a quarter, six months post. And that yeah. was the only truth we have. So, you know, if you're a big brand and, and you're able to have already a view of your customer, that's great. What are you doing to start with that view, add to it and build as you move forward? And if you're a smaller customer, you know, take, take some of these disruptors, um, Warby Parker is a great one in terms of eye care going against behemoths. Uh, they're able to use that to be able to cross sell, 
uh, and, and really take the pulse and make sure that they're meeting that consumer as their needs changed and stay in front and foremost with very focused message. Remember, uh, you own the data, you're able to use that in a much more agile way and a much more cost effective way than if you're just buying for awareness and, and trying to hit some broad metrics. Uh, that's really insightful and, and, and super helpful. And it does seem like because of the technology changes, what you could do is almost limitless. And it pulls you back to what should I do? And you mentioned something I thought was really interesting about the fundamentals, the marketing fundamentals of trying to understand what drives brand awareness, what drives new customers. You know, the, to me, it feels like the fundamentals become even more important of, of having a really clear strategy of what you could do. Because if you don't have a clear strategy, you don't understand the marketing objectives and how that really works the world of what you could do takes over and you could get so locked into ROI that you actually shrink your brand because you're not playing the metrics against a set of objectives, right? I mean, do I, does that sound right to you? Absolutely. You know, it, it, uh, the, the great part of our business, Annie, and you guys have spent a lot, you and I have spent a lot of time is it's always come down to, again, that simple, uh, who's your audience, right? Understanding that at a category of brand level, grabbing the insights, especially if you're able to understand them better and faster than your competition. And then to be able to activate that um, on a scaled way. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we just look at the channels that have just emerged over the last couple of years, you know, what was going on with influencers slash creators. You're looking at what's happening with CTV. You're looking at digital auto home, you know, add that just to what we've been able to see explode out of social, including TikTok and, and what's next there. Uh, go back in time and you can even add that to some of the big social platforms, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and we're tying all that now to direct purchase with the computing power of our phone, that consumer expectation experience um, goes through these things rapidly. Awareness, engagement, involvement, involvement meaning participation, votes, uh, pinging a friend, sharing, um, things are moving so quickly. So. You know, what's harnessing that is, is not just the fundamentals, but some of the technology that has to be created, integrated is probably the biggest challenge, and then leveraged. Um, and I think it takes a really smart uh, marketing or a smart brand that's really bringing all these things together and think about differently. So a CMO now is partnered with the IT. A CMO is not just on his marketing channels. He's, he's tied to the hip at his his sales counterpart, because, you know, again, everything's, everything's much more compressed as you talk about business outcomes, not, you know, broad metrics like awareness or a frequency number that we used to measure ourselves against. You're talking about an understanding of the complexity and knowing how to leverage that agility uh, and the knowledge required. That seems almost the cost of doing business for your top 20 to 30 CPGs. But then as you click down into CMOs of mid-tier brands that may not have the resources, they don't have the team, the plethora of data scientists to be able to you know, put up against or with a, a big holding company uh, media team that could really sort this out. What, any advice to mid-tier brand CMOs who, you know, they, they may have been a, a, a brand manager, marketing director at a Procter Unilever and realize they may not be CMO there, but they become CMO of a mid-tier brand and, and wake up and say, gosh, you know, I don't really have the team. Uh, and how are they going to keep up with this uh, level of sophistication? And any advice on what they might be able to think through and, and do that's in their scope of abilities? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, I think it's a collaborative world. Uh, you can't do everything by yourselves. Uh, you can't do everything with your own agency ecosystem, even if it's a great one, because things are moving so quickly. And so you, you have to, again, comes back to fundamentally knowing what your strategy is and then having a plan that allows you to partner and manage all the moving parts and partners together in a very integrated way to get to that business outcome. So a good example, uh, there's a company I advise for uh, called Zeta Global. And what Zeta has built is an identity platform that allows them to see over 230 million individuals in the US. And they're able to not only see them but in a, in, a, in a compliant way, be able to understand attitudes, be able to understand location, be understand buying behavior, and therefore they can activate it. Now they're a technology company, not a marketing, not an agency, but a technology company built off years and years of CRM and bringing together different companies, but they've built an agile platform. So if you're a small mid-size um, player, and you can't afford or don't have the time or the technology or the technologist to be able to build your own identity platform or activation platform. There are partners out there like a Zeta, and you can go through all the parts of the ecosystem that are doing this for us. I mean, e-commerce, um, as you know, Andy, is another area because things are going so quickly that everyone's looking to partner to win. And much like we saw when search and social was, was coming up, back in the early 90s, you know, a lot of the startups had better answers than whether it was a big agency partner to begin with. It just, it took them time to scale that. Uh, they maybe were acquired or they were built on another solution, but same thing's happening now as we look at the rapid changes going on in the, whether it's retail media slash commerce world. And so it's really exciting to be a marketer or someone coming into this business uh, to, to be able to go up those type of learning curves and be able to apply things and get learnings very quickly as opposed to a nine-month pilot or a year pilot to figure out if we got the next big idea. So, <laughs> well, I love the yeah. way you think, I love the way you think, John, and I think yeah. you see the changes in front of us as opportunity, and, and, and I do too. And at, when I looked at, you know, when I started in the shopper marketing space, it was kind of a fuzzy area. It grew really fast, all about first moment of truth. Now it's probably about first moment of commerce and where you can really connect. Not that those shopper marketing fundamentals are gone. It's just there's another layer of opportunity there, which brings me to probably uh, answer my own question here. What what you're doing today with New Road Capital, because you you see that opportunity. Is that part of your next season of, of saying, like, how can I get how can I help influence capital allocation against some of these new opportunities that may be undercapitalized, but really spot on in terms of catching these waves that's happened in the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, that's a good way is, is capturing. Uh, so at, at New Road, as an operating partner, you're trying to identify those clients who are filling some of the, the gaps in the disruptive areas, or uh, they're bringing together technology solutions because um, they've able to see things very clearly and, and really be able to focus on some of the things that were broken. And then what you're trying to do is, is help them think through how are you going to scale that business? Where are the right connections, whether it's at a client level, at a holding company level, at an industry level, to really help them with a network effect that, that allows them to do what they have such a passion for, which is solve these big holes. So 
Um, there's some big holes, as we've talked about, you know, the challenges in just understanding, you know, as G.I. Joe used to say, knowing's half the battle. The other half is doing. And, yeah. you know, I think the, the fun part is, is always being able to apply these in real time so that you can iterate in terms of where the solution. So some examples where I think we're going to see big demand, if you just look at what's what's needed from a content perspective. So way back when, when I started, I, I make fun of it, but you know, we used to spend a lot of time to figure out the campaign and the campaign used to drive all the other, other channels of communication, whether it was print or, or out of home or, or newspaper. And obviously digital shifted that, but now we're in an extraordinary number of moving parts and partners that have to be brought together. So technology, machine learning, has to help address that, but you still need systems that allow you to take that content that's in your repertoire and apply it in certain formats, distribute it, measure it, optimize it, and then do it all over or be able to pretest before even so you have confidence that, hey, this new CTV ad, this new streaming that I'm going to give a try in Seattle against this type of user, you know, that's, that's been optimized before you even bring it to market. And, Again, agility to me uh, and those who can think and, and manage that in a very agile way are going to be the winners, whether you're a big client, a small client, a startup, or a big technology, continue to innovate to stay, stay out of all this competition that's coming to the marketplace. Yeah, but that's well said. And I also think the VC industry has matured quite a bit. I think back in 2004, when I was looking to scale, really the strategics were the only opportunity really to 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 grow and to take that on at the next level and that's kind of been the case for some time but you know sometimes it's better to maybe take investment from bc and allow your model to grow in a way that you've got strategic advice but you're not pulled into a, ma a major ecosystem before you're ready uh like a bigger holding company which can have its challenges and, and getting absorbed into that could set you back you know, six, eight months, sometimes just going through that integration process where, you know, that those opportunities weren't there, you know, 10 years ago that are there now, which I think is a great time to be doing like things that you're doing, I'm doing in the venture capital space to get behind these so that um, we can see these innovations kind of mature a bit more before maybe they're looking at a strategic uh, and get, get a, a, a strong operating model underneath it. Yeah. And I, and I think before things would have to go through almost a linear process or, mm -hmm. or go guardrails that didn't have this big network effect with people that were willing and able uh, to help out in real time as people have the ideas, they want to incubate the ideas, they need to get the capital to be able to do that, scale it, find the people and find the technologies that can help them continue to evolve that until, as you say, uh, it becomes an underpinning in the in the industry or the the channel that they want to win in. So all all very exciting. And again, if if you keep your eye on where clients are and the challenges that they face or brands or experience that may be created, I think it's a pretty good guidepost uh, for where we'll see a continuous change. hundred uh, percent. And let's talk about some of that in the retail media network side because you know it has been uh, a lot of change really fast. The promise is amazing. Uh, but it does create some new problems to solve that need to be solved, which, again, problems then lead to opportunities in that space. Um, as you look at what's happening with retail media networks, where do you see some of the the opportunities that you think we're going to see some innovation here because there's a problem there to be solved still? Yeah, 
uh, or, or problem to solve and then opportunities even yep. bigger. So I think retail media is an interesting one. If, if you think about it and just break it down, uh, what's enabled that? Again, it goes back to uh, their ability to have um, their ability to have audience. You know, uh, Walmart's a great example. Amazon's a great example because they're probably the furthest along. But you know, they they see millions and millions of people, 40, 50, 60 million people, who they know and and they understand, and they want to be able to provide an experience. On the other hand, you have the brands who want to just like you would in a normal bricks and mortar store, be able to show up at the right time in the right place with the right message um, and, and therefore grow. And so now in a digital world, you have this retail media network. So you have a whole different buying audience. You can think of Walmart uh, as you would a Facebook, you know, you're, you're just trying to put uh, relevant, engaging experiences or messages out there for people who are already part of your network. And so brands, I think, uh, want to and will continue, uh, assuming that it's relevant to show up in those spaces, want to be a part of the the Amazon network, uh, the Walmart connects, the Roundels, um, but it's not gonna stop there. It's gonna go to, you know, Marriott is a great example. Uh, they too have um, cross-sell, upsell opportunities. So you think about credit card, you think about uh, where their people are staying and the ability to serve up messages, whether it's a museum or restaurant, the theater, whatever that might be. So these retail media networks are going to continue. And I think then the challenge becomes from a brand, how and where do you play yeah. and how do you get the results you're looking for? Because it's another dollar you're going to spend where you could be spending it somewhere else. And then from a service standpoint, uh, how do you make that a frictionless transaction or engagement? And that's where I think some of the challenges be. So a retailer, uh, you know, their business traditionally has been, you know, making sure that the distribution shows up, that they have the product available in store, uh, that they have a, a good order system that fulfills that. Now they're playing both sides. So it's a different type of business. Again, they have to run both at once. Um, a lot of technology is involved there. So there's a lot of startups, uh, technology companies, already fulfilling that need have been fulfilling it for a while but we're seeing it's it's a non-stop opportunity or challenge uh just because of the amount of change that's happening there yeah uh, and i think on the other part also the whole experience is getting redefined everywhere we look you know you go in front of a, a out of home space it's digital now they don't serve up the same ad for 10 weeks in a row they're able to change that day part by different audience they're able to measure that because you're connected to your mobile id device and so they're able to fine-tune that messaging maybe if you're walking by and you're close to mcdonald's you're getting an offer on a big mac in the afternoon and you're getting you know a breakfast uh, burrito ad in the morning all because they're able to understand who's at their premise and serve up these things in real time and the technology and the creativity is allowing that to happen. So retail media networks is fascinating, incredibly fast moving, and it's, it's just going to redefine the whole shopper experience um, yeah. for years. So, and, and I think at the end of the game there, it is more valuable to the consumer to have more relevant. I mean, you're talking about relevance and really getting to a place where it is a more relevant experience for the consumer. And I think that's a good thing, not a bad thing uh, in the agility 
that comes with that. So uh, I agree with you. I think it's, uh, and the other piece with retail media networks is you really have to be sensitive to where you have store level inventory and where you don't. And that has never really been factored into traditional media buying when you start linking in supply chain logistics uh, layers on top of this. Um, now it starts to get really interesting because you can be very clear, I'm not gonna run an ad in this geography if I don't have inventory in that store in that time, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And you actually get penalized in the algorithms for most retailers for, for being in that situation. So now you've got supply chain logistics in, in the fun and, and that adds another layer of, of collaboration, which really gets down to, you've got to be really good at collaborating and building partnerships. It's to your earlier point, right? I mean, the more parties you get involved to do this together, the more important collaboration becomes. I just look at it too. If you if you just think about what you just said for a minute, you know, we used to have to run up 60, 70 ACV distribution before you'd think about launching a national product because that was the game. Uh, now uh, you can take regional, you can take fully online if you want, but you can combine that and then you combine a much more efficient way to engage them, whether it's through influencer, through social media, and then CTV or connected TV, you're now able to execute video targeted relevant carve out marketplaces like it's nothing so again it goes to big brands regional brands smaller brands uh, that's a tremendous opportunity because you know if you want to prove that you have a viable business to the big walmarts uh, coming to them having shown what you can do in a regional or even in a couple markets is a big selling point as you know and you know just look at the number of brands you've experimented with in the last uh, the last oh, yeah. 12 months or in the last six weeks. Oh, yeah. Thanksgiving's a great time to, to, to go out and figure out what's new, you know? Well, and brands that launch DTC and then start moving into physical have a tremendous insight. If they've used to working with first-party data, all of a sudden now they've got an edge that many of the bigger brands that have always been through uh, retail are, are struggling, actually, to build some of that first-party data on their own. And um, so, you know, it's not just the big wins here. It, it is does level the playing field. So, John, um, we work a lot with the University of Arkansas, the Walton College of Business, and I had a chance to visit with Molly Rapert, the professor of marketing there, and she typically, for these interviews, I tell her who's coming, she'll send in a question or two from the students. Do you mind uh, taking a few questions that students had on their mind? No, that'd be great. Okay, well, the first one's actually from the teacher herself, Molly, uh, as she heard you were coming and, and asked a question. She said, in this most recent stage of your journey with New Road Capital Partners, how will your ex expertise with media, creativity, and technology converge in this new space? It's a great question. Um, I think first, uh, you know, again, I, I just look at my experience and what I've tried to do throughout my career is, and I've had the opportunity to look across many different categories, many different markets. And so I think, you know, big believer in fundamentals. I think the first thing you do is, is you look at a space and try and understand, you know, not the depth and breadth of it, but find out where those areas that A, you, you think there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for disruption, or B, you have a lot of passion for, and I think that's where you start. So we've selected uh, marketing technology as an area, and we started refining down our thesis in terms of where we think there's gonna be a lot of energy and opportunity. And, you know, examples like digital asset management, because you think of the number of pieces of communication that have to be managed now and managed in a very agile way, whether it shows up on your e-commerce site, shows up in your, your, your retail ad, 
you know, there's an opportunity to do that better, faster, take away a lot of costs out of the marketing system and apply back to greater return as your, as your content's more fit for purpose, more relevant, more engaging, and it shows up in a very automated way. So that's one area. We talked about retail media networks. Uh, it, it's going to be very, very exciting as people look to monetize audiences in that space because they have uh, they have such good information in terms of how it's working and the ability to do that in real time. And then if you even look at the in-store space and how that's becoming more digital, I think that's going to be another exciting because, um, you know, the traditional retail box has stayed pretty stagnant, relatively stagnant for a long enough period. But now with what you're able to do with digital, whether that's being able to engage that customer in a different way, you're able to read those signals in real time, respond, so you get a much better consumer experience. So I think, again, if uh, if you follow where the money's going and where the, the demand is or where some of those gaps are, it leads you to some very interesting spaces. And then lastly, um, I'm able to combine a, a lot of knowledge about brands and categories, uh, the whole holding company organization. I was fortunate to work at Publicis where we had um, Sapient is a big technology consultancy that we acquired about nine years ago, and then Epsilon, a massive data. So, you know, having been able to apply that to clients over the last four or five years uh, as part of my core job, uh, I see this as very similar and very exciting and keeps uh, on a different scale, but a much more agile scale. So that's what I'm really excited for. Yeah, that's exciting. You know, you said something earlier about the fundamentals, and, you know, I put myself in Molly's shoes as a professor of marketing trying to you know, equip students to enter this workforce in such a dynamic space with so many different ve vectors of technology and change. Uh, and I think she could be assured that teaching the fundamentals of marketing and those core objectives, right? I mean, that is such a North Star to get through the complexity. And so in one side, I'd be really intimidated trying to teach students today to come into the workforce. But on the other side, it does come back to really learning the marketing fundamentals as a real basis point. So uh, would you agree with that or what would be your thoughts on that? Absolutely. You know, if you could write a class about the, the marketing fundamentals and just apply all the opportunity today, it's a, it's a never ending book. You know, I think it's always come down to uh, understanding uh, what your brand, uh, what's that reference point that you're competing in and that's shifting around on a daily basis now. And it's, it's certainly not as stagnant as it once was. Um, and then I think importantly, you know, what's that point of difference and what's the support for that point of difference? You know, what's the reason that you can uh, be the best, the fastest, the cheapest, whatever you want to uh, be the best at. Um, but I think those fundamentals, brand positioning, uh, audience understanding and insights, uh, ways to activate, ways to measure, you know, these are what underpins success across all markets, across all brands, big or small. Yeah, yeah, great, well said. Well, I have two student questions, and uh, they tend to be fairly similar in approach because they kind of want to know about leadership, career advice kind of stuff. And so one's from uh, Casey, uh, Kenzie Bennett, uh, College Station, Texas, marketing and supply chain major. As she's asked the question, what moments or moment in your career do you feel has refined you the most as a person? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very humble. Uh, I think for me, it's always been learning from other folks and, and being part of winning teams. 
that's always kept me motivated, whether um, I see myself as a leader of that, part of that, or learning from, you know, playing with winning teams and the energy that comes from that. I just love positive attitude. We can hire all the smart people in the world, but what you can't hire are two things. One, I always find that positive people, positive attitudes make a huge difference. And then the second one is initiative and they usually follow each other. So, yeah. you know, I always say, look, um, the world's littered with, with a lot of people that are smart, have answers, uh, but then you put positive attitude, initiative, and people who are willing to work hard. Uh, I think that goes as far as you want to take. Well, I don't think you've gone very far in your career as a client person if you had a negative attitude because clients want to feel that energy and hope and not, oh, yeah, we're kind of screwed, aren't we? Uh, that wouldn't go very far. The last question I have is from Taylor Howard. He's from Gunter, Texas. He's a marketing supply chain major. And his question is, what advice do you have for seniors who are beginning their careers? How early did you know what you would be passionate about? Uh, Taylor, that's a great question. Um, I'll try and answer that one. I have two kids, 129, 127, and I'll share what I shared with them. Um, and a lot of it's based on, you know, just how I felt at the time. But I always think what you want to try and do, again, is you look for opportunities. And certainly your first one is get a good sense of the culture of the place that you're going to be spending your time. Get a good sense of the people that are there, how they think, how they act, how they behave. And, you know, really you can then marry that up with, you know, now it's about earning capabilities uh, every couple of years. Um, so you find the right company, they're going to be able to teach, grow, challenge you, uh, marry that up with a capability that gets you excited. Let's call it um, supply chain management. It could be procurement. It could be marketing. It could be uh, retail media. Uh, it won't matter. But I think starting out, um, culture makes a huge difference. It will all your career. But then you, you're you going to feel every day you go to work, it's going to put a smile on your face. And at the end of the day, you're going to be as energized as when you started. I think that's the the key thing. So look for that. Uh, don't just settle for the first one that puts an offer in front of you, and it's a good offer, I'm sure. But, you know, really spend the time to work um, and, and believe in something when you start out. And obviously, it's going to change, but, you know, I think that's a good rule of thumb. I love that advice. I think so many students maybe overfret about getting the perfect job at a prestige company and maybe not have that cultural fit for them or be that energized, but uh, and then they end up grinding it out and not having joy. And so I, I just think that's, you know, fantastic advice for students and anybody graduating is to find that cultural fit first and really then let that joy and expertise really flow from that. Wow. Well, John, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate your time. You've got a wealth of knowledge and experience. I'd love to have you come back again. And perhaps also maybe if you get some time, a visit with some of the students in the class from a lecturing perspective, you've got uh, quite a bit of experience to offer uh, and I love your key points around you know, getting back to the fundamentals, seeing all of these challenges and changes as opportunities to really be able to uh, exploit those opportunities for change and relevance and being you know, connected to the consumer and that speed of agility, which is also a mindset as much as a practice area, right? 
And so I just uh, really appreciate your time today. It's been a fantastic learning. And you, you made it sure it didn't get too technical for us that don't know media at the level you do to be able to follow along. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Andy, Andy, thank you. And, and for the students who are watching this, I know not everyone, but, um, you know, if, if you need anything, uh, Andy, myself, you know, we're, we're here to open up opportunities. So never, never feel as though you cannot ask uh, and use a network as to the best effect you can. It's, um, it's a fantastic businesses that we've been fortunate to touch. And uh, our biggest challenge is and always will be finding talent. It's finding you, not you finding us. So um, please do me a favor, do us a favor, uh, show your interest. And if, uh, if there's a good fit, we'll, we'll do our best to make it work. So Andy, thank Love you. It. Hey, John, can I find you in uh, maybe your LinkedIn uh, profile? Yep. What's the best way to reach you? We could drop that in the show notes. Just drop it in the LinkedIn. That'd be great. Okay. That's great. All right, guys. Thank you and uh, have a great rest of the day. Thank you, John. That's it for this episode of It's a Customer's World. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends, and I'd be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a Customer's World podcast is a product of the University of Arkansas's Customer-Centric Leadership Initiative and a Wilton College original production.